Welcome to episode 2 of the Mr Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Well, the sequel is here, and let's hope it's more Godfather Part 2 than Titanic 2. Following on from my chat with Andrew Taylor from AQA in episode 1, tonight I spoke to Graeme Cumming from Edexcel. Once again, in the interest of full disclosure, I am not in any way affiliated with Edexcel or any of the other exam boards. I did, however, do the keynote speech at this summer's Edexcel Maths Conference, and as I mentioned last week, our school does Edexcel for the current GCSE specification, but we have not yet made a decision with who we are going with for the new GCSE spec. I spoke to Graham about loads of things, including his view of the public's reaction to the June 2015 Edexcel Higher GCSE papers in terms of Hannah's Suite and that notorious Grade C boundary, why Edexcel's first batch of sample assessment materials were so flipping hard, how Graham would change the maths GCSE if he had his way, why he thinks you should choose Edexcel ahead of all the other exam boards, and finally, finally, I almost get an answer to the problem of assigning grade boundaries for the new maths GCSE. I am obviously ridiculously biased, and feel free to disregard this, but I believe this is essential listening for any teacher of maths GCSE, regardless of the exam board you are thinking of joining or who you are currently with. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with a few final thoughts and, of course, our podcast puzzle. And just a reminder that you can contact me with questions for my future guests on Twitter, where I'm at MrBartonMaths, or via my website and blog, which can be found at MrBartonMaths.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or anywhere else using the info on the podcast page. And if you fancy giving us a review on iTunes, then that will be superb. Ideally, give us five stars. If not, then it's probably best you don't bother. Anyway, let's start the interview. I will see you on the other side. Okay, so if it's alright with you, Graham, we're going to start with three math speed dating questions. So my first one is, what is your favourite number and why? My favourite number is 127. It's one of these that I seem to have noticed over the years, and once you start noticing it, you see it everywhere. Um, I moved out of number 27 into number 100, I don't know. It is a Mersin prime, of course, so the power of two minus one, um, which, you know, Thanks. It's strangely interesting in itself. Uh, I think my dissertation for my maths degree was on groups of prime power order. So Mersenne primes came into that a lot. Um, that's when I really knew some maths. But uh, no, it's, it's merely for that reason that I, I seem to see it everywhere these days. Maybe it's how old I'm going to live. <laughs> Let's hope so. That's a very interesting choice. I like that. Um, well, excellent start. So my second question is, what was your favourite maths topic, either as a student or, or to teach? What was your favourite maths topic? I think it's. I think at school it was calculus was where I started to see what maths was about to a large extent. Um, and it took a while. It wasn't from the beginning. Um, 
but in in realizing that that's where you could really do something where mathematics was, was around calculus and understanding that it was the mathematics of change of things in relation to one another and i think everything builds on that um and you know, it came into later study uh, that i did that, that i started to appreciate the power of it shall we say but yeah, if you'd asked me at the time, I don't think I'd have given that same answer. <laughs> yeah, I don't think many of my year 13s would, would either. <laughs> and... A bit rose-coloured, perhaps, but um, but it, it just it it felt that it was a a real step forward, like A level is, I think. Yes. Yeah. And um, and my fi- my final speed dating question is: um, if you weren't head of maths at Edexcel, what job would you like to be doing? I'd love to be an astronomer. Oh, nice. I did. Uh, I did study. I did a master's degree in astrophysics when I was young and clever. Um, <laughs> and that was very mathematical. And I'm surprised that I got through it. But, um, you know, to go on and do further work, you do have to be exceptionally brilliant. As far as I can tell, I did study with someone who's gone on to work for NASA and launches satellites for them. Flipping out. Um, maybe it was the limit of my abilities, but I did get there. I think 30 of us started and eight, eight finished. So I was, I was very pleased with myself to do that. And do, but, you still have, uh, do you still have time to kind of keep an interest in it? I do. Yeah. As far as, far as I can. Yes, I do. And, um, but it's, yeah, it's a lot more general rather than doing the maths involved. Um, but I think it's it's a great cultural enterprise. I think uh, it was described to me as sort of completely anti-Thatcherite. There's a load of money goes into it uh, for very little return other than <laughs> culture. Um, and, and I don't think that's entirely true. I think there's all sorts of benefits uh, from astronomy. But, um, yeah, do any philosophy. And if you can do the maths, it will lead you to uh, astronomy and astrophysics, I think, in the end. Excellent. Oh, well, very nice start. That's our math speed date. So now things take a slight turn for the worst as we really hammer into some tricky questions about GCSE. So I want to start with the with the current GCSE uh, specification, and um, which has got obviously it's in its last year now. Uh, will you be sad to see it go, or are we? Are you kind of ready for a change? I don't think it's been around very long, so uh, I'm I'm happy to um, stick with it. In some ways, I was unhappy to see the modular exams go because I think there's a lot to be said for those as well. Um, but current specification, no, I'd, I'd be happy to stay with it with some tweaks. Um, and in terms of any reform, I think these continual sort of total overhauls aren't necessarily very helpful. I think there's lots of tweaking that can be done, and that's the sort of thing that teachers can take on um without having to start everything again and indeed without examples having to start everything again so um so no i'd I'd be happy to continue with the current specification with you know with a few a few twists and turns here and there what would those twists and turns entail really i would like to see more optionality in a way i think that it's very structured what we can offer um, at every level and the, you know the GCSE is quite monolithic and to go beyond that seems to be quite difficult I know it's been done in various ways but it's often it's not funded or it's not recognized with points and things so I'd like to see say an additional maths GCSE um, in some ways the core maths could have been an additional maths GCSE where you are doing a lot more with the maths that 
you learn at GCSE, and that would be for the better students, perhaps. A, a kind of analogue um, would be the Advanced Extension Awards or the STEP at, at A-level maths, a kind of version of that for GCSE. Um, and something that didn't have to go, you know, necessarily on performance tables was something that, that students could have fun doing maths with without it being some great strain or, or some burden on them having to pass an exam at the end of it, that kind of thing. That is what I'd like to see uh, at that sort of level. When but, you when you say about you'd like kind of more optionality, does does that worry you about the way kind of A-level A reform is going, which is essentially taking out the kind of choice of doing two stats yep. papers or two mechanics or a bit of decision does, does that worry you so just because it's a concern to me that i just wonder whether you share that concern it does yeah i, I like the way that a level goes to, together in that modular way i i would like there have to be more option to come up with different sorts of units and and beyond what edxl do um, some exam boards do do some quite exotic units as a, a numerical methods, mm. for instance, that we didn't do. But, but things like that, just to be able to add them in various experimental ones, you know, that, that some schools would take up, you know, those that wanted to would take it up. And those who want to usually make the best job of it and, and lead the way for, for the others in a way. Um you know, I don't think it has to be all the same. I know there's a, a feeling from universities that they say they want to see what student, they want to know what students have done and that uh, the more similar it is, the better for them. But uh, I don't know. I don't know that the mathematicians who've done mechanics are much better mathematicians than those who've done statistics or the other way around. You know, a lot of the universities say they will start that again themselves anyway. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that more scope for just slightly different ways of doing things um maybe in the hope that the best version will rise to the top and become the the sort of thing that everyone would want to do anyway you mentioned tweaks to the gcse that you'd like for the more able students is there anything you'd like for the rest of the students or for the for the students who struggle to access the gcse in, it, in its current form i i think there are there are certainly issues about tiering and things like that i don't think i would want to go the route that some do that there is a maths for the mathematicians and then there's a maths for the non-mathematicians yes. more numeracy and arithmetic um i think there's more to it than that and foundation tier students should be exposed to more than that and should be you know trying to cope with with more than that um but i think you know there's a case of being realistic there's such a huge range of ability at 16 um, for the GCSE, it's hard for the GCSE to cover that. So there has to be, you know, the tiers have to be different. But they could be, instead of a tiered GCSE, they could be two slightly different GCSEs. You know, so one does recognise the, the lower end foundation tier more and is more geared to that sort of student, perhaps, and one's geared to the, the higher sort of student. Whilst we're on the, the current spec, I just want to turn um, our attention to the June 2015 paper. 
as I've said in my introduction, we're, we're a, a school that does the Edexcel current spec GCSE, and there was a lot of a lot of media attention, um, as there is these days, but particularly given to that June 2015 paper, first from the students themselves when they came out from sitting it, going all over Twitter, um, and then from the teachers when, when the grade boundaries came out. So the first thing, I just wanted to ask you about this kind of student's reaction, and obviously Hannah's suite's got a lot of coverage. So before that paper was sat, did you have any concerns about it or did, did you expect the kind of outcry or did you think it was just going to be a normal paper that was just going to pass by like like any other one i personally didn't have any concerns about it because i don't get to see them before they're sat these days uh, part of the regulations about who can go to teachers meetings and things like that so i don't see i don't see the papers until students do or maybe slightly after um but looking over it on the day i didn't see any concerns but they arose quite quickly um, over the Hannah Sweets question. <laughs> I think we've seen, not either, not to the same level, but when they used to do things on Facebook rather than Twitter, we saw some reactions to some questions, but usually about the context that are used because you can make funnier remarks about that. <laughs> um, you know, Hannah Sweets was something they found hard, but there were questions on that paper that students actually found harder. Yes, but we're fairly dull to talk about. No one has a joke about the vectors question. <laughs> and did you, looking back at it now, and it's obviously with the benefit of hindsight and stuff, um, and maybe it's a, a, you're in a difficult position to answer this honestly, but did you think it was a good paper, the, the June 2015 higher one? I didn't see any problems with it myself. Um, I mean, the Hannah Sweets, we thought, was quite a good and testing question. It was maybe found to be harder than we thought it would be um but uh generally you know i look over the i look over the papers when they are sat and if i see anything that stops me in my tracks then i do worry about it but generally um they don't i'd like to think that i can get through a gcse reasonably uh, <laughs> reasonably well um so no i didn't i didn't see that coming i mean I, we saw the Hannah Suites come quite quickly and the your initial reaction is, is there something wrong with the question? And as soon as you've satisfied yourself that there isn't, then you can happily watch it go by in a way. Could you just, could you talk us through that process? So what, what happens there? So the student reaction uh, happens on Twitter. Then is there kind of like an emergency meeting called where at Edexcel Maths where everyone gets together to, to form a response? Or is it kind of a more relaxed approach to that or a more informal approach? What happened over the summer? It depends who's, who's um, calling the meeting, I suppose. If it's the non-mathematicians call calling the meeting, then it might be, uh, might be more panic. But sure. <laughs> would get to, together and that would be talked about. And the first thing would be to say, is this question all right? Is it at the right appropriate? Is it at the right level? Is it on the specification? Is there anything wrong with it? You know, once that's been established, and that might involve the senior examiners as well. You know, once that's been established, then we, then we talk about, you know what's what's our response and i think the response that went out from edexcel was to say that that we were happy with that question it was a testing one um it was towards the end of the higher tier paper um and it was appropriate it was on on the syllabus i think what was nice as well i think i got i'm obviously on your email list uh, as tens of thousands of teachers are and i think you sent out a similar question from papers from a paper a good few years ago right and that that got kind of no reaction at all i thought that was quite a nice touch it was on the paper in 2002 where you know long before twitter and yeah existed <laughs> and i wouldn't expect anyone to have known that 
In fact, I didn't know it myself. I was told by a teacher that, that, that they'd seen it there. So some people do go on the Emporium back as far as it goes and <laughs> check the questions. So let's turn our attention now to, to the reaction to the to the grade boundaries, and in particular the grade C. And I just want to share my experience with from a teacher's perspective of, of what kind of happened to us the, the night before results day. So uh, I, I, had a, I was fortunate enough, I had a, a lovely uh, top set year um, 11 class. Um, and I was hoping to get as many kind of A's and A stars as possible, but also I have responsibilities across the maths department to try and get this A star to C and levels of progress and all that. So when uh, the night before, when the kind of grade boundaries came out via Twitter, um, there was just, I was panicking a bit. I was on the phone to my other department. She was panicking. Um, and across Twitter, there, were, there, there was panic because the, the grade C boundary had jumped up um, significantly from, from previous years. So... Um, Again, I'd just like to ask you, and, and Andrew Taylor last weekend explained this, but I'd just like to get your your take on it. Firstly, how is how is that grey boundary decided? And again, did you kind of predict the reaction that there would be to, to those grey boundaries? I predict that whenever grey boundaries go up at all, there's usually a reaction that there isn't when they go down. <laughs> yeah. Um, though, you know, when they have gone down, we will have seen the reaction earlier when the paper was sat that the paper was too hard. So it's going to, you know, if there's going to be reaction, it will be one place or the other. Um, much as everyone tries to make the papers of a similar standard, it can only take one or two questions, you know, to knock that out of whack. Um, and ideally we would have the same paper every year, but I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> um, and we might come on to that with the reference test in a minute. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a standard that is being set. It's a standard that, that students have to reach. Um, spiking by eight marks is quite a lot, and that is quite unusual. But, it does, you know, the grade boundaries do go up. They do go down from time to time. It is a largely statistical process, although examiners have their say on, on what they expect to see um, students do on certain questions. Um, and there is, of course, comparable outcomes philosophy, which uh, means that if there's no huge evidence that the cohort is particularly better or worse, they would expect a similar proportion of students to go through um, at grade C. Um, and they can, you know, they will look at what we present and what all boards present overall, um, because, you know, there's a keenness not to see grade inflation, certainly. So some of that feeds into where the grade boundary will sit to make sure that, you know, the proportion of those getting C hasn't risen too much. It did go up by two or three percent in June 15 on the year before. Yes. Um, and some of that is informed by the fact that um, a lot of students who may have previously been in November exams aren't there anymore. Um, there's a few more resits this summer that goes into the mix, although. You know, those cohorts are, are all looked at separately in a way. So we will, you know, do a grading that looks at just the year 11, 16 year olds to make sure that that's fairly, that's fairly static. Okay. I suppose the thing with exams is, is you look at them and you say, is this exam easier or have the students done better? And there's nowhere that you can stand that you can say, this is the place that is the same all the time. It will always shift to say, you know, have students done better? Some will say, no, it's because the exam's easier. And some will say it's because the students are better. And I think that's what the reference tests that Ofqual want to bring in 
is looking to try and deal with is, is to have something more reliable to say, are these students better or is the exam easier? At the moment, the only measure is the key stage two results, which is which is taken at the end of primary school. So quite a lot can happen in five years, I think. Well, could you just for, for our listeners who aren't aware of, of the proposals for the reference test, could you just could you just outline what, what they are and how that would work? Yes, I'm not. Um, proposing that I know how it will work, I can say that what Ofqual have proposed is to have a reference test that will happen in March of the exam year. So the first one will happen in March 2017, it's proposed. Um, it's taken from a sample of students from a sample of schools around the country. I think they're thinking of 30 students from each of 300 schools. Um, we'll take a reference test, which as far as possible will stay the same over time, I think these are for maths and English, to get a sense of the strength of the cohort and their abilities and give a measure to compare um, the GCSE to, you know, to, to for grading of the GCSE. I think the challenges will be, if they want that test to stay the same, we'll be keeping it secret. Yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, if they have a system where the papers are taken by students, they are all given back, I'm sure it will be a question-answer paper you know, if they're all given back, um, then maybe it, it will be easier to, to keep it secret. I, I believe that it's intended that there won't be any feedback to the school or the students, which I think is an issue on how students will approach that exam. Yes. That's the same over time. Um, then, you know, as long as it's consistent over time, then it, then it's possibly a reasonable measure. Um, but as I say, I, I, you know, reserve judgment and wait to see how, how that will go. I think Ofqual have some uh, comments about it on their website. They have it on a blog. So, so I would say look there. I mean, the other thing I'd say about the grade boundary for a C at higher tier is it is still around the third of the marks, isn't it? So really on an exam to pass an exam i would think a third of the marks is quite low on an exam where you know where you want to test a student's ability but i know that's a different issue on tiering and i'm sure you will come on to that <laughs> it's on my list it's definitely on my list so well let's let's do a nice little segue then into into the new gcse so you've you've mentioned and it's funny i, uh, I spoke to andrew in the last episode and, and he was of a similar opinion that i think you have that the GCSE didn't need um, a massive reform, and you mentioned tweaks. Well, firstly, is that a fair reflection of, of your opinion that you didn't think it needs reforming? And um, are there any changes that have been made that you think are changes for the better? I'm not unhappy with there being more problem solving, certainly, because that is the point of mathematics, and I quite like the idea that questions are less procedural. Um, I think that is much better in the classroom where people aren't panicking and, you know, your whole future doesn't appear to depend on it, certainly, uh, uh, than in an examination. But I think that's the point of learning mathematics so that you can do something with it. Um, I think that papers have possibly become a little procedural, maybe a little less in the last few years than they've mm, got. Yes, yes. and B and things. Um, in that sense, I think extension at the top end of GCSE is a good thing, um, you know, as long as the GCSE can still be appropriate across the cohort. There are some very 
able students out there, there are still, you know, it's in the hundreds each year that students get 100% of the marks on GCSE. You know, there's, there's a lot for whom it's probably not, you know, not a great challenge. But again, it's how things are structured and when people have to take the exams that that is quite hard to break out of. Um, so, so I quite like the idea of that that challenge at the top end. So, yes, those are those are good things. Um, are there any bits of it that you you don't agree with? I don't think that I don't agree. I tell you what, I would like to have seen. I would like to have seen Foundation and Higher renamed as something else. I think. Oh, okay. They, what would you go for there? Well, I think they they were going to be Core and Extension at one point. I would go with that. I think it's very difficult now that Foundation, new Foundation, will be. A, appropriate for a lot more students that are currently doing higher yes different difficult to say to parents and students actually you're doing foundation although your brother or sister who's just the same as you did higher um, and got through it you know a lot of people and a lot of parents resist their their children doing foundation tier oh that's very that's an that's very interesting actually yeah that that makes that makes a lot of sense it is something teachers have been bringing up at meetings that they they're going to find it difficult with parents saying why why such and such is, is doing foundation tier definitely is any of the um any of the contents that you you're not happy with that's been included any of the new topics or any of the topics that have gone that you wish that have stayed mm, not no not particularly i think there are maybe one or two things at the top end of the foundation that don't seem to go anywhere um so there's a little bit of you know solving quadratic equations but that's quite a lot for a foundation tier, to, and you, then you don't really do anything with it. I suppose it's when you reach the limit of any syllabus, there will be a few things like that. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, I'm glad that, that calculus didn't actually come into the higher tier as was proposed. Yes. And you would learn the mechanics of it, but not really what you do with it, and, and I prefer that wait till a level whilst we're on that actually because this is a question i get asked all the time so i wouldn't mind you clearing this up so calculus isn't in the higher tier but kind of mentions of estimating gradients of curves are to what what extent is that subject going to going to be tested in in the new higher gcse it will be tested i think they were included as a nod to the sort of concepts that you will need if you go on to study a level so, you know, expect to see them towards the end of the, the higher tier. They'll certainly be, you know, testing on if you're understanding what a tangent to a curve is telling you and things like that. They will be in there. I would hope over time before 2017, you know, we will have a lot more examples of that sort of, of question and how those will be tested. Oh, cool. That's, yeah, definitely good news for me anyway. Could you just talk us through what's been the hardest part of the process since the release of the programmes of study through to where we are now in getting the, the Edexcel papers and specifications up to scratch? The hardest part of the process for us has been getting the specimen papers and specimen materials in the right place. Because certainly in all the discussions that you have, and we have probably had more discussions with Ofqual and DFE over this GCSE than, than any other before, in learning what the requirement was, because we know that it was intended to be more demanding, you know, that there would be more problem solving. There were assessment objectives agreed in great detail, like we've never had before, now they have their um, strands and elements as well as assessment objectives one, two and three. 
Um, getting all those in place and then believing that we were meeting the requirements that we would have to meet for specifications and papers to be accredited. And then when everything came out, it seemed like there were differing standards yeah. board, to be honest. Because when the when the EdXL, the, the first batch of SAMs, the sample assessment materials came out, it was fair to say, right, that EdXLs were comfortably the most challenging. And I remember looking at those papers and we as a department were having a flipping nightmare with them. Some, some of those questions were, were really hard. And was that because, was it the way that you interpreted, um, and by you, I mean EdXL, um, interpreted the specifications was different to, say, for example, AQA? I think it must have been, but we were all at the same discussions and being given the same information, you know, on on what the requirement was. I do think that the term specimen assessment materials was originally intended that we wouldn't bring out specimen papers. We would bring out materials that demonstrated what was new about a specification and what was different about it. But we've never actually moved away from specimen papers. And I think, you know, a live paper will have a lot of familiar material, will have a lot of things that you will have taken students through before and they should have. It's always a new cohort through. They shouldn't be seeing everything different. You know, a lot of it should be familiar. A lot of it should look like past papers. Some of it will be new. Some of it will be a different style, but not all of it. I think when we go through this process and put specimen materials together, there's a, a tendency to put more new material. Yes. yes. Uh, and you know, maybe we've done a, a touch of that, but I'd say that has happened in every change of syllabus that, that I've been through is, is that new material goes on because that's part of the process of getting things accredited. Um, I would quite like us to return to doing specimen assessment materials, which weren't whole papers, although I know that teachers and schools like to see whole papers, but that's maybe just a different part of the process. And it's something all the boards are going through now. We're all producing more specimen papers and, and we'll be doing mocks and practice papers that I think reflect the philosophy that we have, which is that there should be a lot of standard material because every student is a new student coming through. So on that, are you confident that the most recent set of sample assessment materials that you have available or perhaps the, the next batch that are coming will be a fair reflection of the content difficulty and style of what the kids will actually be sitting in 2017? Yes, I do. And in some ways, although the the issue of the first set of specimen papers wasn't hugely successful as far as anyone was concerned and did have to be revisited. It did give everyone a chance to revisit what had been done um, and deal with things that, that were difficult. So I'm happy with our second set of uh, sample assessment materials. And since then, we've got two sets of specimen papers on the website as well. Um, so there are three sets out there now that I do think reflect what things will look like. They are still more demanding, I would say, because they have you know, more material at the top end of the foundation and certainly more at the top end of the higher tier. And they are ramped a little differently you know, in, in line with the criteria uh, that we've been given. Um, but I think, yeah, they do reflect now uh, what you will see in 2017. And I think you can look at those papers and, and still see there's quite a lot there that's familiar you know, that you will have done in past GCSEs that you will see on past papers. 
Okay, well, this is your this is your chance now to do a bit of a sales pitch for for the resource and resources and support available for Edexcel, and and don't feel you need to hold back here because Andrew Taylor <laughs> certainly didn't. So if you've got teachers here who perhaps aren't doing Edexcel at the moment, or um or just are doing Edexcel and, and want some resources or support materials available, what have you got, and where can teachers get them from? In terms of the assessment examples, yes, there are the specimen materials I mentioned. Um, there are topic tests, so we're taking very, you know, the new topics particularly. Um, there are on the GCSE if you want to concentrate on those. We have end of term tests that are tied into the scheme of work um, that we have, and there are schemes of work for um, two years and three years for anyone that started last year. Uh, or anyone who's starting in year nine, um, there will be a one year set soon, particularly for those that uh, are teaching over one year in FE. Um, and there's a five year set that's aligned to um, what publishers are doing. So there's a five year scheme of work. But there are there are tests built into those so that if you were following those roughly, you would have some, um, again, some sort of assessment uh, throughout those. We will come up with practice papers and that's that's the terminolo terminology we use when we take past questions that are appropriate and uh, you know, and parcel them up in the in the new style of paper, for instance. Um, so I think there'll be quite a lot of good examples available for for diagnostics. Um, we'll have secure mock papers from next autumn, so they'll go on the uh, website with a password. That's really in the hope that they don't end up on all sorts of Internet sites, um, you know, before you get a chance to give them to your students. So I'll, keep, I'll keep them off Mr. Barton Maths, I promise. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I mean, that is a problem for a lot of teachers wanting to set mock exams for their students is that their students are much better at finding them. Sure. <laughs> over the place. Um, so we have, we're trying to find ways to, to get around that, certainly. And are all these resources, are they available? Is it the Emporium that teachers need to go to uh, to get these? They are on the uh, Edexcel website, if it's edexcel.com slash maths, but I double up virtually everything on the Maths Emporium website, which is um, edexcelmaths.com. Uh, that's a website that I was allowed to start up. It is separate um, from the Edexcel system, but... Edexcel website really won't carry all the things that I think are useful. So the Emporium now has about 15,000 different files on it. Of Mark seems amazing how quickly it builds up, you know, examiner's reports, um, you know, Mark schemes, grade boundaries, and goes back a long way. Um, you know, there's the GCSEs at the end of the 90s. I think the A-level goes back to 1980s. Because in many ways, although the syllabus changes, a lot of the questions are still appropriate. A lot of it is still useful for practice. Um, and I think you know, quite a lot of teachers like to, to go back that far. I will certainly be mining it for anything for practice papers because there's a lot of useful things around the link pair pilot yes. feeding into the GCSE. There are some things I think of the influence of iGCSE has been brought to bear on the new GCSE. So there are questions within those papers that can be used for practice. There's some things on the O level, which we run over overseas still. It's it's called the IGCSE Silvus B now, but it's the same O level as was running since 1960s. Um, and, you know, that's good for things like function questions. Okay. Sure. 
there's loads of sources of, of practice questions, just getting them together in a useful place and packaging them up in the right way. But, but for anyone who wants to have a look, they're all on the Emporium website. Do you have any specific advice that you give to teachers um, who are preparing students for the for the demands of this new GCSE? Anything that we should be doing differently in the classroom that students need that they perhaps didn't need for, for the current spec? I always think teachers know better about how to teach than I do. But you know, the advice that I'd say comes through from examiners is, you know, as far as possible, don't teach for an examination, but you know you have to. <laughs> yeah, a classic. <laughs> to get the problem solving in as soon as you can through the school, and, and I would hope that's starting to come in from year seven, and it start, it's in the Key Stage 3 programme of study. And... I think this has been going on long before exams. It's it's to get students to be able to to play with the maths and experiment as far as possible. But that's difficult when a lot of students believe everything is right or wrong, and that if you get it wrong, it's a, it's a terrible thing. This feeds through as far to the A level and, and to universities is that uh, a lot of people aren't prepared to try and fail, and that by failing you will learn something, and you know you will fail until you don't fail, in a way, and a lot of that is what the problem solving is about. Again, we're asked things like, how do you do problem solving at, at grade G and F? Yeah. That. It is difficult because a problem solving at that level is not a problem for a lot of students, but anything that you're familiar with and confident with is often not a problem. Yes. You and I can look at a GCSE paper and probably not think that there's a great deal of problems, although we can recognize what problem solving is. You know, we'd approach it fairly confidently well speak for yourself Graham. Yeah. <laughs> it's whatever you can do to to build that confidence is going to be one thing i think uh, the other thing is going to be about the resilience that's needed and that's a difficult thing as well especially as we're now going to have three papers and that's you know quite a lot for students to turn up to to have to do this three times over you know testing on on your mathematics um you know, and being able to to work through the papers, uh, it is something that seems to be different for students of foundation and higher that, that I'm often told by teachers is that maybe and maybe it's a, a change I might like to the, the GCSE is the foundation students perhaps need to be tested in a different way or with shorter papers. But the criteria says that everything has, has to be the same at foundation and higher. Is a lot of it at foundation is not necessarily about the maths. It's about the concentration. It's about not making silly errors, things like that. Um, that makes it a different sort of test for those students. I think I think you're right, and I think my year eleven class this year, so they're targeted with C's and B's. Um, I hopefully get a few A's out of there. But the, that it's the resilience more than anything that that catches them out. And again, I don't know if this is a fair point that you'd agree with, but I think in the last few years, um, the Edexcel papers have had kind of more questions in context or more questions where it's not explicitly obvious what skills being tested un unless you kind of read the question and take your time to kind of break it down and structure your answer and more multi-mark questions and certainly at the start of the year and hopefully they're getting better at it now but kids were just leaving those questions out if, if they haven't figured out what the question was asking in about 10 seconds they're just moving on to the next and before you know it 20 30 40 marks are just drifted by and 
I think that that's something that, from having looked at the sample assessment materials, that certainly seems to be a trend that's across all the exam boards, the kind of abundance of these multi-mark questions that test more than one topic at a time where it's not immediately obvious what's being tested. And I think you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's the resilience that students need as well as the mathematical ability to, to succeed. Well, do you think, is that a fair point? I think it is, yeah. I think that the current specification had a more of a requirement over the one before that there should be yes. in context, there should be more problem solving and it has come in. You know, so so what we're moving to is just a bit more of the same in many ways, you know, as, as far as that aspect of things goes. Um, but, yeah, we are testing that students can see what to do with a situation, you know, how to tackle it mathematically. And, you know, what you would like is for students to be able to look at the question for half a minute before writing anything down. But I know a lot will just dive straight in. Sure, or sure. Dive straight away and you know, leave it, leave it behind. But it does, yes, it does need that resilience. It will come from confidence and it will come from practice and belief that that sort of question can be done. I've taken some of the problem solving questions and put them in papers where I have structured them again. I would hope to be able to give some students confidence that they can do those problem solving questions, perhaps to start with with a little help to show how it is done or to show what sort of things they need to be thinking about. And with enough practice through that, they'll be able to look at a problem solving question and go back and know what they have to think about. But that will come from practice. And it's interesting as well, isn't it? Because we, um, we put a lot of emphasis on, on problem solving and structuring these multi-mark questions with our kids. But it, it all, all goes back to the point that if the essential skills aren't in place, it doesn't matter if you're a good problem solver or not. If, if you don't have the basics to answer the problem, you, you're finished there. So it's, it's a fine balance, isn't it, of yeah. hammering those essential skills and developing the problem skills in, in tandem. They can't be done separately. No, definitely not. No, I... Now I've said it, I can't say it goes without saying, but yes, <laughs> yeah. basic skills certainly, uh, they, they have to be there. Um, but yes, what is different is the way that those have to be used. You know, it is a bit of a further assessment in that respect. Right. Well, we've we've come to the point in the interview now, Graham, I'm afraid, where it's time to throw over to questions that have been coming in via Twitter and also coming <laughs> in as a result of my interview with Andrew Taylor. So the most popular one by far, um, <laughs> and you're going to love this. And it's something I must admit, I'm, I'm I'm asking it as much for myself and my department as as also for the for the kind of twenty odd people who've, who've asked me to ask you this, and that's it's all well and good having these sample assessment materials for this new GCSE spec. But there's no guidance in terms of grade boundaries or level boundaries or whatever we're supposed to, to call them. So what are, what are we supposed to do as teachers? Can you give us any guidance as, say, a, a child's getting 70% on on a on a higher on, across the higher paper or a child's getting 50% on the higher paper. Have you got any advice or guidance as to, to what that is going to equate to? I can't believe the question has taken this long. So. <laughs> They're building up to it. <laughs> Um, I think we can work towards it. I don't think it should be beyond the wit of exam boards to be able to do something along those lines on, based on the experience of what we've seen. Because we now that things are marked electronically, we do have a lot of performance data um, on what students do on certain types of questions, uh, without a doubt. I think that Ofcore have said that for 2017, certainly that there's a rough equivalence between a C and a 4 and a 7 and an A and indeed a G and a 1. And I think they give you some anchor points. 
I think the first thing to do, and I've done this, and I think any teacher can do it or any mathematician could do it, is to take past examinations um, and you can set those boundary. You'll, you'll know the seven, um, the four and the one boundary. So you can interpolate, I think, um, for a lot of the others to give you an idea of the sort of standard that, that say, a grade five at higher tier would be. It's intended to be a boundary of it's two thirds between from a C to a B, isn't it? So say take last summer where C was 65 and um, B was 95. Uh, a five grade for that would be about 85. So your student who got 85 marks would be the sort that might scrape a five, for instance. If at least on on past papers, that might give you an indication of the sort of student that's going to get there. But I think the second thing we need to do, um, and I think across all boards and probably across um, Ofqual and the various technical um, committees, is to start looking at the new ramping of the papers because the higher tier now is starting from questions aimed at a student getting grade four. You know, the first half is four to six and the seven half is seven to nine um, and saying what sort of marks are, th are those students going to get. Um, again, I can't say that I have done this yet in great detail, but you can model an 80 mark paper on a new higher tier by taking a current 100 mark paper um, and chopping the first 20 marks of it and saying, all right, how did a student do on those remaining 80 marks? That's going to give you an idea of what a new higher tier will look like and what a new a higher tier performance will will be. Um, and we'd have to see how, how students did on that sort of paper. So I can't give you any magical figures, but I think there's enough data around to suggest some modelling. The other thing to take into account is if the new reforms and you know teachers' efforts on, on teaching this are going to improve the sort of marks that students get. So how much do you expect a student to improve from, from the new reforms? You know, by 10%, by 20%, that's going to have an effect on the mark. But given that it's being done statistically and the number of students who get a grade four and above will be will be the same proportion as the number that get a grade C and above and similarly A, you know, it does give you an anchor um, and, so, and something to work on. That's I'll, I'll give you that. That was that was detail in some answers. No, I'm I'm happy with that. Um, I'm going to push you a little bit more on um, your kind of students where it's difficult to make that decision uh, between whether they go for foundation and higher. Do you expect, um, as Andrew did, a move towards more students sitting the foundation tier? Do you think that's something that we should expect and something that you would kind of advise? teachers to to look at those cd borderline students and think actually maybe foundation tier on this new spec it is the more appropriate one for you i think they should do and what they will do might be slightly different um i do think and i think it currently although it doesn't happen is that the exam experience for for a student should be a good one um, and that students that are on that cd borderline ought to be able to get more out of a foundation tier paper if you take out the problems of, you know, the concentration and the resilience in a way, you know, the, the sorts of questions they're tackling, I would like that student to get a C having come out, having got 70% and thinking that was quite a good experience. I did 
a lot on that paper. You know, I did well rather than I've come out thinking I scraped a few marks. Will it be enough like they do on, on the higher tier? But you've, you've hit the you've hit the nail on the head there. It's I mean, I'd like that too. And I think every teacher listening to this would like that for, for grade C students to to get the grade C on the foundation paper and feeling kind of good about themselves. But it's it is it's the resilience and concentration, certainly in my experience, that that hinders them and makes it almost without exception students more likely to get that grade C on the higher paper than they are on the foundation paper and it's it just doesn't sit right with me and I know a lot of other teachers. No I think that on the new system it's going to be you know you're going to be looking at the four or five boundary now aren't you? And yes. That's going to be more like the sort of CB boundary than it is the CD boundary um, that we have at the moment. So you're going to be looking at that tier of entry, you know, a slightly different cohort that's on the cusp there. And that's why I think there would be more put in for foundation, um, because those CD students going into the new higher tier are going to start right at the top of their ability, you know, from question one. Um, I would hope that there will be enough material around for you to at least be able to do some diagnostics with students and, and put them in for higher and foundation mocks to, to get an idea of how they do. Um, I suppose my worry with it is if you look at, if you take a hundred mark paper from current specification and model that as an 80 mark paper by taking the first 20 off, that first 20 marks is where a lot of those grade C students get their marks from. Yes, yes. Um, and if they don't get them from those first 20, there are not many marks around and they will fall off. You know, the system, either that or the grade boundary would have to be really low. On the other hand, for foundation, whatever is the grade five boundary is going to be, is going to be higher than it is for the current grade C, because that's going to be grade four, yes. imagine. And I think when teachers look at that, they will see more marks that you have to get now on, on foundation for the grade five. And it may look like fewer marks on the higher to get a grade five, you know, there'd be more of a difference than there is for getting the C on either either one at the moment. And that's what I worry. I think the new grading was brought in thinking, yeah, you can just up the requirement to five. You're just essentially raising a boundary. But I don't know that the tiering was looked at enough. I don't think it was modelled and thrashed to death. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd studied the astrophysics and it's given me, <laughs> given me a bit of science training as you put your theory out there and you invite people to destroy it and if it still stands then it's good i feel that you know come up with a new grading system give it to people like me or give it to maths teachers and will do their worst you know to try and get round it or try and destroy it um and if they can you should you should go back to the drawing board if they can't it's a good system but i'm a bit worried about where the where the five boundary will be on both foundation and higher and whether that will exacerbate the problem of people wanting to put students in for, for higher tier whether it's appropriate or not well let, let me go for whilst let me be cheeky go for one more then on this boundary i'll push my luck a bit here if you were a betting man where would you go for for if you had to predict june 2017 out of 240 <laughs> marks higher paper and foundation where's where's your best bet for boundary for for level five or grade five I I really don't know at the moment. And I would hope that by doing a bit of work with some 
some past performance figures, which hasn't been done yet, that I could come up with something, and and then I will come back and have a bet with you. <laughs> I do feel it's because it's, it's, it's a serious point, though, right? Because it it's it's massive decision, and okay, I can kind of see how the CD borderline kind of cusp moves to foundation, but it just moves moves that tricky decision up up a notch to the C the BC borderline students. Oh, yes. and, and without without guidance on, and I know you've given us some rough ways that we can think about it, but without the official guidance to know where these grey boundaries are going to be, it's it's a guessing game, and it's. I don't think, obviously I'm biased, but I don't think it's fair on the teachers and I don't think it's fair on the students. So when, when have you got a time frame when we'll kind of have a more definitive answer? I don't. I, I agree with you that, you know, everyone should be given more guidance. And I am, you know, myself, I am happy to do it. But that means I've got to get the awarding team at Adexel for a start behind me. I would... You know, you'd also have to have Ofqual agreeing to that, that, that everyone would have to come in and say, yes, we think this is a reasonable approximation. And in saying that, then I think they'd be kind of bound by it. Yes. So that anyone wants to be bound by any prediction that I make um, for a start. You know, it's a, it's a lot of people you'd have to get agreeing to say in advance, here's where we think the boundaries will be. And actually whatever you predict, they could still go outside any parameters you come up with because it depends on how the students perform. It will also depend on the papers. I mean, this is, is, is predictions made that the paper will be a nice ordinary one with no problems rather than, you know, the ones that occasionally pop up that are too hard or too easy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got all those things, all those assumptions behind it. And once you work all those assumptions in, your error bars become so large that sure. I'm useless. Um, I would hope that we could do a little bit more around practice papers that come out that might have some performance data attached to them that, that would give you an idea. But it's still the case that papers are all different. You know, any set of papers will have different boundaries. Um, so, yeah, I... It's really my feeling is there's not enough to go on to give anything sensible without my saying, yeah, the grade boundary will be 40, give or take 35 marks, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, whenever, whenever you have a number, you just you let me know and I'll, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll broadcast it out there. Um, right. I'll let you off the, uh, the level boundaries uh, now. We'll move on to something related. Um, and this is something that, that actually came up in discussion today um, in my own department. So we've set our year nines. Um, um, in fact, we've given them an AQA um, sample assessment foundation uh, paper across all of year nine. Um, and a lot of the bottom sets are scoring. It was a paper one, sorry, I should say, out of 80 marks, non-calc. And a lot of the bottom set students are scoring zero, one, two, maybe at most. I think in one set, the highest uh, score they got was seven. Now, of course, they're not going to be sitting this paper for another two years and things may change and so on. But do you think there's a need for another qualification just to cap capture some of these students because if foundation tier has been ramped up in demand surely that's going to mean there's a whole cohort of students who simply can't access it does there need to be something else for those students and if so what what's it going to be yeah i wouldn't disagree with that and that probably comes back to earlier comment i made to say maybe a foundation tier could have been geared more towards those sorts of students you know, that it, that it 
catches those. Um, there are entry level qualifications at the moment, but maybe they're not appropriate either for the sort of student you're talking about. Um, so, I, again, I think this is something to do with optionality and, and breaking out of the sort of rigidness that everyone has to do a GCSE um, because it isn't appropriate for a lot of students. But you know, that doesn't seem to be on the um, timetable at the moment for, for any reforms. Um, we have at Dexcel, we have the awards in number and measure that were aimed at that sort of student so that they could at least come out with some sort of mathematical qualification. And it's those elementary number and measure parts of the, the GCSE um, with a bit of statistics. You know, it avoids some of the, it avoids the algebra, it avoids the harder geometry that those, those students may not be able to access, um, but gives them something. So it's at level one, it's at level two. They're being used quite a lot in FE for students that haven't passed the GCSE and are unlikely to get a C, but it means they can come out with something. Um, you know, maybe they could be taken up more at schools, but there is a requirement that students um, cover the Key Stage 4 programme of study um, and it's GCSEs that get recognised in performance tables. So that's what students get put in for. Um, but yes, I would like to see a broader range of qualifications. Um, but I think the, the problem is with the recognition that they get if they don't get any school yes. reluctant to spend the money um, to put students in for those qualifications. Would would a solution be a three tier GCSE? Would you take that? Yeah, it it could be. Um, I think you know, don't try and persuade me. Try and persuade your <laughs> that maths is a special exception that should have a three tier where everything else has two. I think the problems that the three tier had that um, that were being dealt with was there were too many students taking intermediate tier and then not being prepared for A-level because 50% of students took intermediate. Yes. Um, and there was the problem with the 25% of the students taking foundation tier where they weren't getting a pass of it. Yes. You know, so you'd have to think about reintroducing those problems if you wanted to come back three tier or you could re redesign the three tier grading system differently. Yeah, that's a possibility. But it would you know, again, you'd have to plead that maths is an exception, which, you know, in some quarters we do plead successfully that it's an exception. You know, everyone wants to see more students doing maths successfully, both GCSE and A-level. And yet when we plead to make the structure different or, you know, have something exceptional about them, um, that tends to fall on, on deaf ears because there is a way that GCSEs and A-levels work and they should all be the same. Okay, I think I think I've only got two more questions for you, Graham. So you, you nearly let let you off the hook here. But this one, quite an interesting one. W would you be with all the kind of differences between the exam boards and the differences between grade boundaries and schools kind of sometimes playing a game, putting some students in for foundation with one board and higher for another, or getting them to sit two different things and all that? Would life be easier just with a single exam board for GCSE maths? There are certain aspects where I think things would be easier, yes. Um, but, you know, then there's a greater chance of uh, catastrophic failure if it goes wrong in one place. You know, that's the only that's the only place. In terms of, of having a single exam, I can see, you know, advantages over that and everyone's in the same boat and everyone doesn't feel that they, 
you know, disadvantage their candidates by doing one board over another. Um, but, you know, be careful what you wish for. There's a lot of materials and support out there for the GCSE currently, you know, because having other boards around keeps us all on our toes. Yeah. And, you know, I will sit with my feet up when there's one exam board if I still have a job. And so, <laughs> and so you have to do my exams now regardless. Um, I don't think that would be entirely true, but that would, um, you know, that would be the danger perhaps. Um but yeah, there's, I can see that there's arguments to and for, and the UK is in a very peculiar position in terms of the history and the way exam boards has worked. But also, you know, to me, Andrew and Neil will be in the same hat for a job. You don't want to see us unemployed at Christmas. No. <laughs> well, this this teases up perfectly for, for the last question, <laughs> because this might be a job interview, this, in, in a few years' time. Um obviously we're probably going to have millions of people listening to this this podcast episode as once they hear that you're on here so um this is this is your chance if you've got teachers listening here or in two minds whether to either stay with edxcel um or to jump ship for, for the new spec why should um a school choose edxcel ahead of aqa ocr and any other um awarding body um well i'll i'll start it in terms of um you know Let's stay where, where everyone else is. At Excel's entries, about 10 years ago, I think half the GCSE entries were with Edexcel. Um, last summer, it risen to around 70% um, in that time. So I like to feel that something is going right. People are joining Edexcel and not leaving again. So, so something is going right. I think it's certainly around um, getting the fair results if, if if people enter their students with us and feel that the results that they get are appropriate and that they are fair, then they will they will be happy around that. And that's probably, you know, in the end, that turns out to be the, the most important thing. Um, I would hope that the support that's around it is helpful, that, that it means that your students can do what is required of them um, in the examinations, that the examinations are written in a way that is accessible, that they are ramped well that they are written with appropriate language and things like that you know all those things should be basic all those things are i'm sure what all boards will will say they do so we have a lot of similarities definitely um but i i would say that you know again people are coming to us they are not leaving generally um other than that we do have a lot of materials available certainly for practice and that's what a lot of you know practice for maths exams is about um we've done a lot of things first um we were the you know the first ones to do things like getting electronic papers out and i know that because i used to type them up and not <laughs> thankfully i don't have to do that anymore um you know although we do still provide things in a word form so that they can be edited and things like that um you know they've been going on the emporium website for a long time so we've been the first to make things available and make them available quickly we were the first ones to um put out mock exams i think that's a general practice now that that is done mock and practice exams um we were the first ones that did things like content exemplification um you know so we have been trailblazers in support as far as 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 we can be um that's just the website, but around that we've got um, our collaborative hub networks now of 40 schools that host local meetings 
um, to discuss best practice. It's things that we can attend. So we would hope schools get to meet to talk about how to teach perhaps the new topics, um, you know, how they are going to approach uh, examinations and learn from each other. But it's things that we can be there for an exam board point of view um, so people can speak to us, um, members of the maths team. Um, so I would hope that that that's helpful. You know, we do still have um, face to face meetings that we can come to and try and be as, as helpful as possible. Um, so we are trying to be out there. Uh, I have an email list that's got about 10,000 teachers on now. So I hope that, you know, the fact that they've stayed there means it's worth hearing from me. I try to be as entertaining as possible, but I, you know, I'm also trying to get the information to you before you realise you need it so that, so that nothing does trip you up as far as possible. You don't get caught out by changing the rules or, you know, changing the system. Um, you know, the best exam board would be like a good referee. You, you don't actually notice we're there. Yes. What I don't want is you only notice we're there when something goes wrong. Sure. Uh, that's often the way of an exam board. Um, you know, after a summer, you hear the complaints. You don't get a lot of people writing to you saying, that was a fantastic exam. Students <laughs> are very pleased. And I can understand that. But, you know, if people don't complain, we assume that's what they're thinking. Um, yeah, so all those things wrapped up. You know, we have been doing this a long time. I think, you know, I've been at Excel for more than 25 years now. Um, so there's a lot of continuity. A lot of the maths team have been around for a long time. The examiners have been around, have been doing this for quite a while as well, so they're extremely experienced. Um, I know you don't get to hear from them so much anymore because they can't um, go to the meetings, but you know they are still there with uh, with years and years of experience on on writing papers and and trying to uh, trying to get those right um, for students. Okay, well that, that you've heard the argument, everybody. There, that's that's the case for Edexcel. Um, just to finish, Graham, um, where can where can teachers get in touch with you? How can they sign up for your newsletter? And is there anything else that you want to make our listeners aware of? Yeah, um, my email is uh, mathsemporium at pearson dot com. I did start Imperial Emporium as a fairly whimsical title. Uh, <laughs> I never intended it to. Uh, go that far i thought we would have 100 people on the on the list um but uh yeah that that's where you can get in touch with me or my colleague mark directly um and as before you can get uh a lot of documents from edexcel.com stroke maths which is the main edexcel site but if you can't find them there you can uh, get them on maths emporium which is at uh, edexcelmaths.com um and you should be able to find everything on, on one of those two, certainly. Uh, if you go to the math subject page on the Adexcel website as well, there's a, a phone number for inquiries as well. Um, anything maths related, a lot of people that will help you there. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, Graham Cumming, thanks so much for your time for talking to us tonight. Thank you very much. So there you have it. There was my interview with Graeme Cumming, the Head of Maths at Edexcel. 
I hope you found that interesting. I know I certainly found it fascinating talking to Graham. And I hope you noticed. I, I really did try. I tried my very best to push him as much as possible on these uh, on the issue of grey boundaries. And I'll try the, uh, the same again with Neil Ogden from OCR when I speak to him for the next episode. But I'm just at the stage now where I don't think we're going to get any answers, any definitive answers anyway. And I can completely understand why. Uh, Graham made a really valid point there that it depends on the cohort, it depends on so many different factors, and that without that statistical data, the error boundaries that he would have to give for any recommendation would make the recommendation completely meaningless. Graham made the point there that he could say, sure, it's 40 marks for this, plus or minus 35 either side, and it just becomes absolutely meaningless. But at the same time, I think Graham shared the frustration uh, that teachers have, and I think Andrew did, and I'm sure Neil will uh, want to speak to him next episode, that this is just incredibly difficult time for teachers. But I think a picture's starting to emerge here, and if you're asking me to to have a bet where I reckon they're going to be, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is here. I'm saying out of 80 marks, higher tier paper, I'm thinking a level 4, grade 4, is going to be roughly about 20 out of 80 grade 5 roughly 30 out of 80 and I'm I'm stating that here and um, when they're absolutely nowhere near that that'll just show how little I know but on foundation God knows God only knows where it's going to be uh, Graham again made the interesting point there that to get that grade 5 on the foundation paper the, the marks required are going to be substantially more than are currently required to get a grade C um, in the in the current specification because they have to be because a 5 isn't equivalent to a C so our teacher's going to look at that and think, flipping heck, that grade five is going to require a massive amount of marks from our students on foundation paper. And with the issues of resilience and tiredness and concentration that um, and daft mistakes that, that are raised with the discussion with Graham, our teacher's going to look at that and think, well, our kids once again are going to be better off, uh, have a better chance of getting that grade five or that grade four on the higher paper than the foundation. So will we see this drift, this shift towards foundation? I do not know. And again, I, I like the point Gray made about the names of these papers. And yeah, it's something that I hadn't considered before, but I'm sure you all listening here have thought about that. But it solves so many problems, that, right? Just not calling them foundation and higher, calling them core and extension or, or whatever you want to call them. But it will just stop me and I assume other teachers as well making that inevitable comparison between foundation and higher and also the point that Graham raised about um, siblings and parents not wishing their not wishing their uh, children to be on foundation tier but if you call it something different all of a sudden it becomes a completely different qualification and I just think it's going to make decisions and understanding and accepting the changes uh, easier to make and after all they, they, they've changed flipping letters to numbers so surely they can uh, just change the names of those qualifications but anyway um as I say, I hope you found that, that discussion interesting and useful. But I know what you're thinking. That's all well and good. The only reason I'm listening to this podcast is for the weekly podcast puzzle. Well, fear not. Here it comes. And once again, I'm going to hand back over to my guest, Mr. Graham Cumming, for this week's podcast puzzle. My puzzle is a number sequence. It's all the numbers from one to nine. Uh, the sequence starts eight, five, four, nine, one. What are the last four numbers in the sequence?
So there you have it. Two episodes down, hopefully many more to come. All that's left for me to do is to once again thank our guest, Graeme Cumming from EdXL, for joining us tonight on this podcast, and to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music throughout the show. For comments and questions, or just to say hello, you can find me on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or on email via teachers at MrBartonMaths.com. Please subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform, and if you could help spread the word about this podcast, that would be hugely appreciated. I will return next episode with another dose of mathematical goodness, so take care and bye for now. <laughs>